We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, we we did have a question here. Uh, we're kind of speaking of your your movie thing. We are kind of having some fun with this, but there actually was a question about it. Robert Bishop said, "Is Maverick really that good?" I intentionally skipped it uh, for because I uh, for, for uh, skipped it for Thor because I figured it would suck like all Tom Cruise movies. Uh, I heard Thor, Thor was so bad. Uh, Thor was so bad. <laughs> let me let me say this. I am not a top gun. I am not a Tom Cruise fan. I'm not. I didn't like the Jack Reachers because he it was just unbelievable character. I've I haven't watched any of the Mission Impossible since like the first two. I'm not a Tom Cruise guy. I'm just not. I loved Top Gun and I loved Top Gun Maverick because it was very well done. And it wasn't the overacting Tom Cruise, I felt. I, I thought the the writing was good, uh, how they kind of played out Val Kilmer's uh, ISIS, you know arc i won't say it because it gives away some things but I, I thought it was phenomenal and and again i'm not a tom cruise guy at all i think he's weird i think he's an overactor. i think he you know i just I, his a lot of his characters aren't believable i respect the fact he does his own stunts that's pretty cool uh for the most part but i'm not a tom cruise fan but this was a phenomenal phenomenal movie and he, he does he does all his stunts still a lot of them yeah wow, like on crazy. one of the mission impossibles he broke his ankle jumping from one building to the next yeah um uh, i mean yeah he does a lot of that stuff but i'm i'm not um i i i'm not one of the pro tom cruise people i don't think he's a great actor i think he's been in some great movies but uh that this one was excellent I really feel like this one was excellent. And I don't, like I said, I don't want to get too much into it, uh, but uh, that's kind of where I'm at. Vision Post exactly. said, I enjoyed the Reacher series on Amazon Prime. That was excellent. If you like, I've never seen Reacher either. If you like Reacher. the, if you like series on TV, like I watched uh, Terminal List, which mm-hmm. was excellent with, with uh, what's the, I get all the Chris's combined. It's Chris Pine. It's not Chris Pine. It's uh, Chris Pratt Chris was Pratt. in it. It was really, really well done. But the Reacher series on Amazon is much more true to the the original the character in the books. I thought it was really, really, really well done. So really, really well done. The only so. the only thing we we started watching was uh, House of the Dragon, the uh, Game of Thrones spinoff. Okay. So we started that last week. I've never I've watched like the first four or five series uh, shows of Game of Thrones, and I was like, okay, that's not for me. But I've heard 
you got to keep my dad told me that he's like you got to try it again like just keep watching it the first it takes a while to get going but once it gets going the it's first really yeah once you get in the groove the first six seasons of game of thrones is fantastic yeah. and then the last two seasons just very terrible yeah, yeah. Yeah. Chief Brody well, said J- Tom Cruise they, is they the Jim Harbaugh. books, Brian, and then yeah. they, then they just had to end it after. The oh, so they went past time. the books. Oh, yes. that never that rarely goes well. I say never rarely goes well. Uh, uh-huh. Chief Brody said Tom Cruise is the Jim Harbaugh of actors, but he was amazing in Maverick. Yeah, I I, I agree. It was really well done, really well done. Uh, I, I I said Ryan, you you gotta you gotta see it, man. It's definitely definitely worth it. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Trade Coffee sent us two new flavors after my wife filled out their quiz. Big City French Roast from Joe Coffee in New York City and Black Velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters in Massachusetts. The Black Velvet was a dark roast with a note of burnt sugar, graham cracker, and malted milk balls. It was a very rich but smooth flavor that reminded her a bit of her favorite dessert, creme brulee. The Big City French Roast was also a dark roast, which is right up my wife's alley. And it was flavored with burnt sugar, baking chocolate, and roasted almonds. The smell in the kitchen while she was preparing a cup of coffee put a smile on my face. And she said the taste was even better and sweeter. And she didn't pick these flavors. They were chosen by Trade after she filled out a short quiz. You got to give this a try. And Trade Coffee connects customers to the freshest and best tasting coffee they've ever made at home by partnering with the country's best craft roasters. These are independent businesses from big cities and small towns. Trade customers are truly impactful for these independent roasters, often being the largest source of new growth for them. Trade's coffee team actually taste tests thousands of coffees to keep 450 different kinds live and ready to ship every day. There's no one perfect coffee, but there is a perfect coffee for you, and Trade's human-powered algorithm will find it. Trade is so confident they'll match you right the first time that if they don't, They'll take your feedback, and an actual coffee expert will work with you to send you a brand new bag for free. Right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order plus free shipping and handling when you go to drinktrade.com forward slash Irish. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com forward slash Irish and let Trade find you a coffee you'll love. That's drinktrade.com forward slash Irish for $30 off. 
Hulk Strong has said if uh, Notre Dame were to land Sam Lepemba, could he play Viper? Yes, definitely could. <laughs> definitely could. There's no question. He could probably uh, play four or five positions in the front yeah. seven. So, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Ed said he got a chance to watch Peyton Bowen up close last night on TV here in Dallas. He is definitely as good as advertised. He had a pick six and everything. Ryan, you and I talked about this. There were some technical improvements that he needed to make as a defensive back, but if he did, that's the only thing that kept him from five-star status. We saw some of those technical improvements during the summer at the seven-on-seven things. You saw them a little bit last night. So, yes, I fully expect having him as a five-star by when I do a regrade of this class at the end of the season. Brian, he's one of those kids that I think he could literally play any position in the secondary. Like, I think he could play corner. Absolutely. He could definitely play nickel because the most impressive thing I saw about him last night on that interception was – the closing burst that he oh my has gosh. for safety yeah. is unreal, man. Like the changing direction is just silly. He could easily play man-to-man coverage on, yeah. on outside and inside receivers. Like no doubt about it. He's he's a special athlete. Zach Martin with Super Chat. Thank you, Zach, very much. Uh, if Notre Dame can land Tayshawn Lyons outside of their in-state rival, Washington State, has there been a bigger st- uh, stick in the – see st- stick in their side than the Irish the last few cycles? Thorn in the side, we'll say. Yeah, yeah, let's go there. Um, I mean, they've really taken it to Washington. I mean, Washington went through several years where they were really hurting Notre Dame with kids. I mean, they were beating them for a lot of kids. I mean, the two corners that they had, I mean, Notre Dame really wanted Kyler Gordon. Mike Elko recruited yeah. him hard and couldn't beat Washington for him. I mean, Asa Turner, we remember him. There was Jalen McMillan. There's been a lot of those stories. Last few cycles, it really started with Jordan Patelho in the 2020 class. They beat uh, Washington for Jordan Patelho. But then, of course, you know, Chance Tucker recently they beat him for. Benjamin Morrison last year. And, of course, this year's class, they went out there and got Jade Lamar, mm-hmm. you know, from the state of Washington. So, yeah, they've – and then Tayshawn Lyons was considered a strong lean to Washington. Now, uh, Notre Dame's got to close on them, but so far they've they've really made a lot of good progress. So yeah, Notre Dame has really taken it to Washington. This is a big. You hate to say that about a first year coach, but that's the that's the. I mean, like LSU fans are on their feelings because I said LSU is a dumpster fire. As if you know Ed Orgeron left and all these players transferred just out of normal circumstances, right? Washington's also like that. I mean, Jimmy Lake left that place in a hot mess. Yes. And they are getting raided. That state is getting absolutely raided by everyone else that's not named Washington. I mean, think about, I mean, we talked about Ohio State, Emeka Ekbuka, Washington kid. Mm -hmm. I think, wasn't JT, the defensive end? I don't know how to pronounce his last name. He's a Washington kid too. You had, they got the, they got the one defensive end that was a five-star a couple years ago. But then they they lost Jaden Wayne to Miami. Jaden Wayne transferred IMG. Yeah, Yeah. but he's a Washington kid, right? And, And you've got, Jaden Lamar that Notre Dame just took Tobias Merriweather in last year's class. Yeah, they have been a huge thorn in Washington's side. Kalen DeBoer's got to get them back on track quickly if he's going to mm-hmm. stall some of that negative momentum with that program. What where did but, where did Notre Dame, Brian, out of because uh, I, I don't remember the the I don't remember where they liked him. Where do they like Asa Turner at? Because he's playing like Rover. a weird role. Rover. Like Rover. That's, see, that's yeah, one of the things. Yeah. Washington, Washington convinced like him roof, he was a safety. It's like, nah. Yeah. Nah. Well, that's how they got him. They convinced him he was a safety and he wanted to play safety. And I don't know why, but yeah, that's what they had him playing. And, and it hasn't worked out for him at all. You know what I mean? But hey, he went here. He wanted to go. He's playing the position he wants to play. So 
you know, more, I, more, I saw more his name on, uh, I saw his name on the spring grades and he's like a, a undrafted spring grade. And yeah, yeah. it's just not, it has, not it a very good, good safety for them. That has been good. Has been good. Just your ordinary Joe. Thank you for your super chat, Joe. He goes, okay, here's to cover Ryan snow caps. Uh, he's, how unusual is it that XW could conceivably play both ways in the same game? That would be Xavier Watts. How unusual is it that Xavier Watts could conceivably play both ways in the same game? When was the last time um, last time a Notre Dame player did that? Does it happen much in college football these days? It doesn't happen much at all. You'll you'll get the occasional occasional kid, but it doesn't happen very often. I mean, you probably count the same the number of kids in one hand maybe that that do it, other than just like an occasional thing. And usually when it happens, Ryan, it's because. What was it, a few years ago? Notre Dame had to play a kid both ways. I can't remember when it was, but it's been the last ten or fifteen years. It was because of injuries they had to put a kid out. At, mm-hmm. uh, Tory, it was Tory Hunter. Remember they put Tory Hunter corner one year and they had to play him at corner. Oh, really? It was like fourteen or fifteen. That. Like it was, maybe it was like fourteen or sixteen or something. I can't remember what year it was, but there was they put Tory Hunter at corner because they were so banged up. No, I think it was twenty fourteen when they had all those injuries in twenty fourteen. I'm pretty sure they put Tory Tory Hunter Junior. Tory Hunter the third at corner. Uh, because of it but no it, it just it doesn't happen often it used to happen a decent amount but it's never been prevalent in my lifetime yeah. uh, you you know it, it was more prominent way i mean way back even for my dad was following football i mean you just, sure you didn't i don't think era had a ton of guys playing both ways i mean there were some but there weren't a ton uh, it, it it definitely has changed a lot there, can we do a trivia question a i have sure. a weird trivia question about this subject mm-hmm. who is the last nfl player to start both ways in an nfl game uh, would it have been for, the kid, dude, the dude season. from the for, oh, for a whole season? Would it be uh, Troy Brown? Not Troy Brown. I don't know who that was. Chuck Benaric. Benaric. Wow. Okay, you went yeah. back a long time. Okay, sure did. Yeah. Wow. Yep, yep, yep. I mean, there's been some great. You know, Champ Bailey did it. Charles Woodson did it. Dion did. Dion play a little receiver. Did Dion not play receiver at Florida State? He didn't do it until the NFL. Did he play receiver at all at Florida State? I think it was just an NFL thing. NFL. I could be wrong about that. <laughs> That's. Pretty amazing, pretty impressive. But yeah, you know, he also he also started at center field for a World Series team too. Sure, sure, (laughs) sure. I could have seen Bo Jackson playing like Mike linebacker and running back, and you know, I mean, you just don't you just don't see it often. You don't see it often. And uh, I mean, yeah. So it's it's very unusual. Is it? You know, I I don't. I think there's a reason for it because the game is so much more complex. You know, and requires such different technique where in high school you can play both ways because you're just the best athlete on the field and it's usually not very close but even high school we don't see it a ton at the big schools like you know you don't see a lot of dudes at st john bosco and modern day and you know doing both ways i mean you have some i mean you know the the elite players do it Pey- peyton bowen does it eli bowen does it, right, kid do it, right. Yeah. but like yeah. you don't see most kids don't do it it's just usually those really freaky athletes that can just go out there and run by people Right. But, you know, you have to have a lot more precision in how you play the game on both sides of the ball in college. And that's why you just don't see it a ton. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Mark Stewart with a super chat. Thank you, Mark. Popcorn. See, now you got movie tickets. Now you got popcorn money from Mark. Is the best, best path to victory trying to play physical and keep the ball away from Ohio State, even though it's not the way we probably want to play? Or do we just play our game? I think they need – I am always a believer, Ryan, in play your game. Do you know why Michigan was able to do that against Ohio State last year? Because that's who Michigan was. Yeah. Because you know what, Michigan like, – there's this perception that Michigan played keep away from Ohio State last year. They didn't. They took shots on Ohio State. They threw the ball down the field against Ohio State. 
And who was it? Cornelius Johnson that smoked Denzel Burke on the one bomb. Then they took two other shots and they got pass interference penalties. Like Michigan played their game. Their game was just physical football. I mean, Oregon played their game. They didn't do anything to play keep away. They played their game and Ohio state couldn't stop them. So I think you need to play your game, but I think this team wants to be a physical running team that uses that to set up the throwing game. I think that's who Notre Dame wants to be Mark. So I don't think it's a, much of a transition to play keep away. I think the keep away may come as we've talked about before is like, this is a up-tempo game. Both teams are scoring a lot. And Al Golden's like, Hey guys, can you give me a, a couple extra minutes on this series? Okay, sure. We, we, we got you. You know, maybe you call it, maybe you start your next series and you call a timeout during the series or something like that. Or, you know, I mean, there's, you can send your offense out to start a series and then say, Hey, look, let the cl- play clock run down and then we'll call a timeout you know, and, and come back and, and, you know, maybe they'll go to another TV timeout or something. And that is how we can get our defense a little bit more time to make some adjustments and catch their breath. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes maybe, you know, there's all types of different things that you can do. Ideally it's because you put a long drive together, but you can say, look, yeah. you know, you were snapping the ball at 15 every time now snap it at, snap it at five, you know, things like that on a particular series where you're trying to give your defense a breather, but you got to play your game. You're not going to beat Ohio State doing what you don't do or who mm-hmm. you aren't. The teams that have beat Ohio State beat them because they played their game better than Ohio State played their game. That That's how you beat great teams. Yes. You know, and, and that's what Ohio State did to Clemson in 2020, right? That's what LSU did to Clemson in 2019. That's what Clemson did to Alabama in 2018 and 2016. We're going to play our game and it's going to be better than you. And then yeah. we're going to, you know, and then what Dabo did was the smartest. Dabo built his team to beat Alabama. Mm-hmm. Like he just built his team that way. Cause he didn't need to build his team to beat North Carolina and those teams. It's like, Hey, let's, let's be the anti Alabama or, you know, so what, did, so what did they do to beat Alabama? They got big physical dominators in the trenches and speed on the perimeter. So they were able to kick Alabama's butt in the trenches with their defensive line, and then they had athletes on the perimeter that could run with them. Yep, that's what they did. And you know, like somebody who was at uh, Field Yates tweeted something out yesterday, like about how AJ Terrell is not a top hundred corner in the NFL, and how he could didn't believe that to be true. He, he can't. It's like they did the top hundred ranking. I don't think AJ Terrell was in it. He was saying something about that, and I don't know how good AJ Terrell is. But my thing is very good, right? (laughs) I don't, again, I can't speak that, but what I'm, my response was him being underrated started in college because that kid never made an all American list. And I, I, there weren't any corners that I thought were better than AJ Terrell his last year in college. But you know, that's the kind of, I mean, Trayvon Mullen and AJ Terrell two high level NFL draft picks as your corners. I mean, that's how you beat Bama. You know, you know what was the problem with AJ Terrell is everybody got this preconceived motion after he got torched by Jamar Chase a few times yeah. in the in the in the playoff game that like he wasn't good, but it's just right. like guys, Jamar Chase did that to everyone right. that year. And like, some guys have player. bad games. Some guys yeah. have bad games. You know, and that's the other thing is is but that's the thing about corner we talked about yesterday, Ryan. Like you are out on an island and everybody sees when you get beat. But to your point, yes, Jamar Lamar and Jamar Chase is still doing that to people. <laughs> To everyone so, yards as a right like, right yeah. right yeah. all right oh, so trying to get me fired up in the chat man he talked about mac jones being in the top 100 yeah yeah yep. he was yeah. yep 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 anyway we've got some more questions up here lots of great questions today 
Guinea pig clips, which 2023 recruits do you think will see the most improvement in their senior year and surprise some people? Would you take a couple cracks at that, Ryan? I, I think Armel Mookum is a, is a great guy to pick. I mean, he's entering his second year playing football. I, he's incredibly talented football player. He's only a three-star recruit across every single platform. And I think there's going to be natural maturation, Brian. And if he's, he seems like a very focused kid. And if he is as focused as I think he is, then the athletic traits, if his technique comes even close to where his athletic traits are, then I think he's going to be a big riser. And I think that he's the most natural one in this question for the most improvement because he just hasn't been playing very long, right? Like that's right. the guy for me where it's just like, I think he's going to be so much better than last season. Like so much because yep. literally hasn't played football. So, yep. I mean, that's the easy one just because he's cut, he's got the furthest to go couple that I, I think Charles Jagasaw is going to see a big jump. I think Charles Jagasaw's high ranking right now is based off his potential. I don't know if his, if his ranking will improve. I mean, he can't go much higher than six on, on three. I mean, I don't know if his ranking will go up higher. It may even drop some because of the way, you know, there may be uncommitted guys that they need to bump up to create storylines and clicks. But I think yeah. Charles Jagasol now, year two after missing the COVID year, uh, year two of the new coaching system, I think Charles Jag and he spent a lot of time this offseason boosting his game up, Ryan. I think he's a kid that I could see making a big jump as a player this year. He's a guy that pops my I think Braylon James is another one. Yeah, You know, Braylon's put a lot of work on his craft this offseason. He was just an athletic kid in the past. He's put a lot of work into being a better route runner, catching the ball better. You know, his his hand technique as a catcher has never been great. It's it's fixable. So I think he has looked, good hands, but he, his technique is not always good. It looked great yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just his timing as a passer, you know, where he was putting his hands. And, you know, it, it, some kids can have strong hands, but they don't catch the ball well because their technique, their timing – those type of things isn't there. There were things that I did as a coach. I mean, one of the things I did with my receivers was I would tell them to lay in your bed at night, turn all your lights off, don't have any TV on, and then once your eyes start to adjust to the football, start throwing the football up and catching it and, and trying to identify that, you know, focus on the tip, try to see if you can see the X because your eyes got to really lock in on the football. Even in, in the dark, when your eyes have adjusted to the dark, you got to really lock into the football because if you're not, it's going to hit you in the face and then throw it over to the left, go get it, throw it over to the right, go get it. There's all types of things you do to try to really work on not just hand-eye coordination, right, but timing, right? you know, as a pass catcher. And so – and that has nothing to do with if you have strong hands or not. It's there's There is a level of technique that comes to that. Some of it is natural, but when you got guys throwing heat the way that some of these college kids do – um, you know, it, it, it's a little harder to, to see that. So yeah, it, it, I think he's another guy that I look at and I think is, is, is going to make a big jump this year. Elijah page would be another one yeah. for me. I mean, Physically. He's, he's, I think he's just an underrated player just in general, even based upon his film from last season, but especially since he's, I mean, last time I talked to him a week ago, he was 305 pounds now. Right. And if he's, if it's good weight and he's improved his core strength, then, I mean, that was really the only thing absent in his game, in my opinion. Like, he's a good athlete. He's got good technique. If he's stronger, I think he could be one of the better offensive tackles in the nation, in the 2023 class. So I, I'm excited to see how he does this year for Pinnacle. Yeah, it's going to be. And I think the other side of the ball, I'm really curious to see what Micah Bell does this year as a corner. You know, I don't know if his ranking will go up, you know, but I, I really want to see his growth as a corner. He's another guy that I think has a chance to to see a lot of improvement. And I'm not when I think improvement, I'm, I'm more looking as players. You know, like like a Don Schuler. Don Schuler is a pretty savvy, experienced, smart kid. I don't know if he'll make a ton of improvement beyond just another year older, stronger, more experienced. 
Sure. You know, like like some of those guys. But uh, another guy that I'm very curious to see what kind of improvement he makes this year is Bubakar Traore. I want to see what kind of growth he makes this year as a player. Uh, that's a very interesting one for me because he's another really raw kid with a lot of talent. And mm-hmm. I want to see what kind of growth he makes this year as a player. That's going to be really fascinating. Good question. Good. And another one here from Guinea Pig uh, Clips. Which receivers do you think will step up in the Ohio State game? Uh, Ryan, I don't know who's going to step up, but I know who needs to step up. They really need Braden Lindsey and Lorenzo Styles to play well in this game. They yes. need the guys that can stretch. They need to be able to stretch the field. If they can't beat Ohio State over the top a couple times, even if it's an incomplete pass where Ohio State's like, uh-oh, you know, we, we can't keep doing this because they're going to catch one of those. Uh, but, they, I mean, ideally you need to hit a couple, right? But they got to be able to stretch the field and take the pressure off the run game. Because Ohio State's going to basically say, we're going to make Tyler Buckner beat us with his, with his throwing ability. We're going to make your receivers beat us with their throwing, with their catching ability and speed. You're not going to run for 300 yards on us, right? Yes. And and so now can they pull it off? We'll see. I, I mean, I think Ohio State's got the talent to where if they commit all their resources to shutting down the run, they're going to be able to slow down the run game. I, I just – I don't think Notre Dame's going to bully them if they can't complete balls down the field like they did, like Oregon did. I think Ohio State was a different team by the end of the year last year than they were against Oregon. I don't think right. Oregon would have done to Ohio State in November what they did to them in, in September. Michigan was able to do that to Ohio State because they did bully him in the trenches, but Michigan also immediately in that game took shots and hit some mm-hmm. shots, and they did not play keep away from Ohio State. As we said, Ohio State had the ball for more minutes in that game than Michigan did. They just took – they played their game and took it right to Ohio State, which included running the football and throwing the ball down the field. That's yep. how they beat Michigan. And that 190 yards is misleading because they didn't throw it a ton, but they didn't throw it a ton normally. Completions. Right. Yeah. But yeah. they had two big plays that were – they had two big 15-yard pass interference penalties off downfield shots because, of, because I think Denzel Burke was on one or both of those pass interference penalties. So that kind of tamped the numbers down a little bit too on plays that probably would have been caught. So my answer, Ryan, is the guys that got are able to stretch the field. I don't, I don't think you know, like let's say Jaden Thomas comes out and catches eight balls for ninety-seven yards. That's great. They need that, but that's not going to be the thing that beats them. It's the, it's right. the guys that now if Jaden's the guy that stretches the field, great. But they're going to need the guys that stretch the field to step up in this game, in my opinion. I agree because I think that when you're – so if I'm the defensive coordinator, if I'm Jim Knowles, I'm looking at the situation Notre Dame's in, I'm like, okay, they had a couple interesting players at running back, although they haven't done a lot yet. They have Harry Heastan coming back, who everybody knows about Harry Heastan. And, Brian, they have a very dynamic runner in Tyler Buckner. Like, that's what you know about this offense, right? So my immediate reaction is they're going to run the football, and they're right. going to try to establish a – physicality in the game so i am also going to load up against the run like as a defensive corner i would also do this i would say i'm not going to let them beat me in the run game i mean that's natural Mm -hmm. offensive line should be much improved you have a running quarterback sure stop the run in that situation i imagine jim Knowles is going to play a decent amount of man coverage early on in the game Mm -hmm. right like he's going to give you some one-on-one opportunities and to beat those Needs someone to be dynamic, man. Needs some right. explosive plays to be created. And I think there's going to be opportunities. The question is, can Notre Dame capitalize on them? If they can, then that box starts getting a lot looser yeah. down there because then you have to start playing too high. Yeah. You have to start playing maybe a little more zone coverage, a little more off, that type of stuff. And that plays into your advantage. So I agree with you. I think that early on, you're going to see a whole lot of man and Jim Knowles trying to load it up against the run. And Notre Dame needs to 
ease that pressure. And the right. best way to ease that pressure is to create some explosive plays. So Brain Lindsay's a four-four flat type of athlete. Lorenzo Styles is a four-four something type of athlete. I, I would even throw in a hey man, I don't know what Deion Colsey's gonna be doing in the first game, but like a Colsey or a Merriweather, some guys that have that vertical element, although it's different than those two. You need whoever has the ability to create explosive plays needs to come up come, come mm-hmm. up early in the Ohio State game. If they hit a couple t- shots early, Brian, then right. I am going to be feeling pretty good. It's going to be a lot like that USC game, game in 2017. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be a 49 to 14 game because Ohio State will score. I'm just saying that will make it the much more bad. Ohio- this Ohio State team is way better than that 2017 USC team. I'm just saying the dilemma that they put on the USC defense that day is what I'm referring to. It'll be like that game where, look, we're trying to stop the run and they're throwing it over our head. Because you, you you'd mentioned you know Buckner's a di- you got to take Chris Tyree into account as well. There's no way they're going to watch the the bowl game and say ah we're not worried about 25, right? I mean they're going to know he's a home run threat because the last game they saw him play he made big plays in that game. That's a but how do you stop him? Get down closer to the box. You see him swinging out, see him releasing, close down hard on him. It's similar to the run game, which leads into Ryan's point even further about they're going to protect the deep shots. That's, that's where it's going to be. That's where they're going to be. Okay. Let's get to some more here. John a one said in terms of athleticism, where would you rank the Notre Dame roster top five, top 10 or top 25? Just athleticism is the question. It's definitely better than top 25. It's between five and 10. That's yeah. I, I think it's, it's closer. Pro- it's to probably 10. literally in between five and ten. Yeah, that's why. Like yeah, six agree. or seven or something like. I, I, I wouldn't go five because we're just talking athleticism. I think there yeah. are some teams that Notre Dame has a better roster than, but mm-hmm. that includes the trenches. Yes. Like I think Notre Dame has a top five roster. There's no doubt in my mind they have a top five roster. I think that's where now number five is a lot of times a lot different than one and two. That's how it's been in college football for years, but they have a top five roster. What I don't know is if just pure athleticism, if they're still top five, but they're definitely top 10. I'm just leaving open the idea that a team like USC could, you could argue could be ahead of Notre Dame just from a pure athleticism standpoint. I'm not saying I would have to think through it and look through it, but I'm leave open that idea that they could be there just from an athleticism standpoint. A team that has Bijan Robinson and Xavier Worthy is at least under consideration regarding their athleticism. Not have to look at their entire roster. I'm just making the point that there yeah. are going to be teams like that if the question is just athleticism, right? But as far as football talent, trenches, and athletes, that's what gets their name in the top five. But I don't, they may be top five, Ryan. I'd have to think about this one. It's close. But I probably just my gut is to not, it's to say they're not top five from a just yeah. athleticism standpoint, but they are definitely a top 10. There's no doubt about yeah. that. Yeah. My impulse was Brian, like between five and 10, somewhere in that ballpark, right? Like definitely top 10, but like, are they six or seven? Are they five? Are they like, eight or it's, nine? It's, it's, right. Right. It's, it's right. close. I mean, judging by Feldman's freak list, uh, Wisconsin has a more talented uh, athletic roster. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, and then punters, man. And John yeah. Sots hurt Notre Dame's ranking when it comes to athleticism. And then Blake Groupier completely drawing Notre uh, Dame Bre- down. Bryce McPherson seems like a pretty uh, athletic kid, but not a know, freak whatever. though. Not All a freak. Right? Not a freak. Not oh, goodness gracious. Oh, I'm going to keep my comments about punters and kickers to myself uh, moving forward here, but I think for me too, Ryan, is if you were to ask me, does Notre Dame have a top five roster in regard to trench play? 
hundred percent. I mean, that's yes. where they're three or four in the top three or four. Yeah. You know, because that now you remove Ohio state from that. Does Ohio state have a more athletic roster top to bottom than Notre Dame? Probably just athleticism. That doesn't mean football town means athleticism. Probably. Sure. Sure. You know, some positions, definitely other positions, uh, you know, but yeah, top of probably, probably a little bit more athletic than Notre Dame. Yeah, I would but so. when you add the trenches, um, no, I don't think they're better there. Uh, and and so that's kind of where you said, I do think this game should be more competitive than a lot of people think, which we have some questions about that that we'll, we'll get to. John A1 asks, what would you predict to be the dominant trait of this offensive line, pass blocking or run blocking? It's a good question. Uh, I think that you can make a case for both sides, John, yeah. honestly, because you have two bookends at offensive tackles who already showed some good spurts last year in pass blocking, but I'm going to go at run blocking here, Brian. I, I don't know why. I, I'm not I, I'm not like – if anybody says pass blocking instead, I'm not going to like fight back too much. It's just what we've heard as far as the impact in camp. It sounds like those guys are moving on some guys, man. Mm-hmm. And like I, I think that Harry Heesan is bringing – the physicality out in this team and is bringing kind of that aggressive nature. So I'm going to say just for that influx, I'll lean run blocking, but like, I'm not married to it. Like you could convince right. me that it's pass blocking at the end of the day. I think right now, if you had to say, which one am I more confident they'll be best at? I would say pass blocking because we have seen this group as it's currently constructed for the most part, be really good in pass production, pass blocking. I think Joe Alt last year was an excellent pass blocker for, I mean, not just for a freshman, just in general, good. was yeah. really good as a pass freshman blocker. Freshman All-American, yep. yep. Yes. I was, you know, again, with, with Blake Fisher, we're talking about a game and a half of football. But in that game and a half, he faced Jermaine Johnson, a first-round draft pick, and held his own, and then played a team that at the, going into the bowl season, I believe, ranked number one in the country in, in sacks. And it was a really good pass rush team. And he more than held his own in that game as well on 70 plus pass attempts. Right. So I would say, Ryan, that I'm more confident at the current moment in the pass blocking because we have seen it. Jarrett Patterson has always been a better pass blocker than a run blocker. 100%. Uh, you know, Zeke Carell, you know, I think he had some good pass blocking. When he had mistakes in 2020, it was in the run game, not taking the proper angles to cut a guy off, stuff like that. He was good in pass pro. Uh, you, you look at uh, Josh Lug, I think he's going to be solid as a, in pass pro at guard. I, I'm confident seems to be really good pass blocking. I think this unit's highest potential is going to still be – Andrew Kristoffic, if he's starting, is a better pass blocker than he is a dominant run blocker right now. That's true. So I, I, think, there, I think right now that's what I'm more comfortable in is what we know, but I think – from what I've heard and what, what Ryan is referring to, they have really looked good in the run game and camp, but we just haven't seen it. Right. And so I'm trying to be honest and objective. I think this team is going to run the ball really well, but what I know that this group can do is protect the quarterback as it's currently constructed. Cause when they were having all the pass pro issues, you know, one of the guys that had one of the big issues is gone. Kane Madden, you've moved Josh Lug to a more comfortable position. Joe Alt was inserted into the lineup, which cleared things up. You know, a lot of things, Andrew Kristoffic was inserted in lineup, and that helped clear things, some things up in that regard. And then once that, you know, once it was Patterson, Kristoffic, Alt, the pass protection got a lot better. It wasn't great, but it got a lot better. Right. And and then in the bowl game when it was Alt and Fisher, and then Patterson and Kristoffic, they were really good at protecting the quarterback in that game. They just never receivers that could get off the line, and they couldn't run the ball. To strengthen your argument, too, four out of five of those guys have – a background at Notre Dame 
as a tackle at some point, right? Like Jared Patterson was a backup left tackle as a true freshman. Josh Lug just started at right tackle last year. And then obviously the two tackles. I know even C. Corral was a high school offensive tackle, but like at Notre Dame, four out of five have had some type of experience as an offensive tackle. So to strengthen your point, as far as the pass blocking upside. Thank you for strengthening my point. I appreciate that very much. Love the assist, Ryan. Thank you. Uh, you were if you were if you were the OC in the DC, what changes would you make to the offense and defense from where it was last season or what we think? Yeah, let's just go with that. Let's go with that, you know, because we don't know what they're going to do this year, but yeah, from right, what they're exactly, going to do with that, exactly. I, I would, I would, and play you can't a use more... be competent as a, as a, um, as a, you know an answer it, be competent it, it, coaching the offensive line look rob they, they made a couple of the, the things that i would have done already they hired a better offensive line coach they hired a better wide receiver coach that's a great start right like i think fundamentals on offense is the biggest thing that i would have improved from last year and then brian defensively for me i'm just more of a four-man guy so i would have probably had a little less three-man lines if i w- if i could have last year i felt like there were just too many times and i know people share this frustration where i saw isaiah foskey playing in space a little too much and dropping into coverage and doing all that Mm -hmm. type of stuff. So probably just a little more four man defensively. And then offensively, it's just being better at the fundamentals. And that comes with the coaching side of things. So I think they made, I think they made a couple of those adjustments already. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the biggest adjustment would have been all offensive line coach. I would like to, I want to still see more. I, I hope they don't go away from RPOs. I really hope they don't. I don't know that they will, or why I'm not saying that I've heard that they will. And I'm warning against it. I, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I just hope that they don't. I think it was really came down to on offense. It was about be coached better, just be coached better and have a different mentality. I think, I think one important aspect of this team, and then we're going to learn about Tom Reese is, yeah, it's great that he can call plays and all that. But what I want to learn about Tom Reese this year is can he oversee a team that needs to become more tough physically, mentally, emotionally, this offense has to be more tough. The reason I'm confident that he will is not anything I know about him as a coach. It's what I know about him as a player. Tom Reese is a tough, gritty, like no-nonsense, mentally tough kid. So I, I think that you're going to see that, but I need to actually see it to, to say, yeah, it's going to happen. But I think that's a big thing is this was not a very tough Notre Dame football team it, it, this past season especially. They weren't tough in 19. They had some tough guys. They weren't really, really physical in 2018. The only year they were really physical was 2020. And that was a byproduct of a lot of different reasons. But that's the big thing for me, Ryan, is is I need to see them be more physical. That's a big yes. part of this. Big yep. part of this. Let's get to the next question here uh, from John A1. Which player needs to make a name for himself week one, offensive, defense, outside of Tyler Buckner? Well, so we I've assumed that we're going to add yeah. that if Notre Dame is going to win, who would need to be that guy? I mean, I, I think I would just stick to where we were talking about the offense last, uh, I mean, a couple of minutes ago. I think it's, there has to be a wide receiver that makes some big plays. So like someone has to make a, a big name for themselves as an explosive pass catcher, ability to make some big plays. Defensively, I think it's going to be one of the defensive linemen, but I, I don't think it necessarily has to be Isaiah Foskey. It needs to be somebody that like, if it's a Riley Mills or it's a Jason Adam Alola or somebody like that, where it's just like, again, we talked a little bit about it was it yesterday, the day before Brian, where like, there's a perception that it's Isaiah Foskey and a bunch of guys. Like I want to lead that game. And it's like, wow, the best defensive lineman on Notre Dame's team that day was not Isaiah Foskey, right? Like it was somebody else. And Isaiah was just his typical, very good self. Right. So I think one of the defensive linemen has a huge game, whether that's pressures and as a run defender, 
and then explosive plays on offense. So I'll go with one of the wide receivers. That could be, I'll go with Lorenzo Styles because I'm a Lorenzo Styles guy, but it could be Lorenzo Styles. It could be Brain Lindsay, could be Tobias Merriweather. It doesn't matter. I just need a wide receiver to make an explosive play like we already talked about. I agree on offense. It, it needs to be a receiver or a running back. I mean, it needs to be like, wow, this was the coming out party for. I, I actually, I would even say that's as as important to a conversation as as the receiver. Like the receivers have to play well; they have to hit a couple big plays. They don't need to have nine catches for 170 yards. If they do, great. But they don't need right. it. They just got to hit a couple big plays. If we come out of this game saying, "Dude, Chris Tyree is a monster," or Audric Estime is a beast, or you know, now I see why Audric was talking about him being a Doak Walker or Logan Diggs is that dude. I mean, if one of those guys or just the backfield as a whole, you're coming out of the game like, whoa, Notre Dame's got some dudes at running back. I think that is going to be a, big, a great sign, too, because then I think that then opens up those big play opportunities. A hit a big play here, hit a big play there. Right. Like and that's what made Ohio State so good in 2014. Ohio State didn't have that dude at receiver. Like, they had talent there. Michael Thomas played receiver for that team. Right. And. He was pretty good, but like 40-some catches for 700 yards. They weren't – Devin Smith, to me, was their best receiver that year. Well, not say best. Most impactful receiver that year. He didn't catch that many balls. This is when he did. They were going for like 30. I mean, that was the – he had – I want to pull up his numbers from that year because he had some insane yards per catch did, numbers. Didn't he literally year. average 30 yards a catch that year? It was, was close like to it, yeah. It, he, had, he had 931 receiving yards for, on 33 catches. 28.2 yards per catch and 12 touchdowns. Michael Thomas, I was right about the 700s, but he had 54 catches in 15 games. I mean, that's that's good production, nine touchdowns. He had a sure. good season, but he wasn't like – he wasn't what he was in college. He wasn't T. Higgins. He wasn't Justin Ross. I mean, because the offense, that's not what the offense was. But what they could do on that team is they could hit home runs. Yes. And, I mean, if you – Devin number – I mean, he did all that in 15 games. He had 931 yards – he averaged less than uh, three catches per game. Yes, I mean fifteen games, thirty-three just, catches. You know, I ain't a math just guy. Just over two yeah. a game, not just not under right. three, like right. barely two a game. Right. If we're being he, honest, here's like, what he did nuts. that year: two for ninety-four against Navy, one for fifty-eight against Virginia Tech. Let's see here: one for forty-two against Rutgers, three for seventy-two against Illinois, six for one twenty-nine against Michigan State. Let's see, one for 52 against Michigan, four for 137, and three touchdowns against Wisconsin in the Big Ten title game. Two for 87 against Alabama, one went for a touchdown, and then one for 45 against Oregon, right? Like, if Braden Lindsey just kind of has some games like that or a game, like if he just does against Ohio State what Devin Smith did against Michigan, I don't even need to do what Devin Smith did against Wisconsin, Ryan. I just need him to do what he did against Michigan. Two catches, but one of them's a bomb. Or I mean Alabama, one of them's a bomb. Or or you know, that or that's I mean, if if he just has one catch for 52 yards like Devin Smith did against Michigan, that's gonna have an impact in this football game. And that's the things I need to see from him in this game. I, I can't you know? I can't believe those numbers from Devin Smith. That's like the uh the Tayshawn Lions high right. school numbers. But he did it in the right. Big Ten in the college football playoff. You know what I mean? Like that's a little right. different than doing it at some small level of California high school football. They were sick numbers. But what did he why was he such a great part of that offense? Because you you were always leery of if you put a little too much emphasis on the box to try to stop Ezekiel, they're gonna throw it over your head. And yep. he's a 50 plus yard play waiting to happen. And I think that's kind of 
that's kind of the thing for me that if Braden Lindsay can just give that, and he doesn't even have to be the stupid 28 yards per catch, just where you can be that guy and make one catch like that, then that opens up the running backs and, and that type of thing. Defensively, I actually want to see a DB have a breakout. And I don't care who it is. It can be Brandon Joseph. It can be Cam Hart. But if some DB comes out of that game, because even now with Cam Hart, I mean, Brandon Joseph, he's getting some preseason All-American love, but he's not like a talked about figure the way Kyle Hamilton was. You know, it's like, oh, we'll put him on the All-American list because he was an All-American two years ago. That's how I feel why they're putting him on the All-American list because he was already one. But they don't then talk about him the way they talk about other guys, right? If we're coming out of that game and people are like, yo, Cam Hart, Brandon Joseph, that's a dude you got to worry about. Like, that's a good sign for Notre Dame because no one's going to be talking about that if Notre Dame gives up 500 in passing yards and loses by 30. Hey, but that Cam Hart guy's really good, you know. Uh, you won't see that. It means that they at least had some level of success or he, that player, whether it's Clarence Lewis, I don't care if it's Tariq Bracey, I don't care who it is. It could be mm-hmm. DJ Brown, you know. It could be Houston Griffith. I don't care if it's Justin Walters or I don't, I don't care. Somebody comes out of that game making a name for themselves, it means they made game-changing plays in the secondary. And that would be huge for this Notre Dame football team. And yes. big time, big time. Big time hey, big and look, time. if it is Isaiah Foskey coming out of that game, because, like, hey, we need to put this cat on that Will Anderson conversation, that's a good thing, too, because it means he went out and had, like, you know, two or three sacks on on uh, C.J. Stroud. So as long as people are talking about those guys in week one, it means that Notre Dame played really well. Win or lose, it means – they battled for 60 minutes and played really good football. And that's oh, the key. Brian, not to go on a tangent, but during our show yesterday, I forgot to tell you, there was someone that at some point that put in the chat that uh, it was, it, I think it was like an LSU fan that came sure. into the chat. They said, Isaiah Foskey's overrated. He only had one sack against Oklahoma state. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Great All commentary, right. buddy. He only has one sack a game. He's going to have 13 sacks in the season. Like, come on. y'all. Yep. Like, yep. 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 Are you shocked that an LSU fan made a dumb comment? I mean, that, that's – I've actually had two LSU fans I've engaged with the last couple of days who I had really good back and forth with. We didn't agree. But I had good back and forth with. That's two out of about 100. And so, you're going you're, you're going to the Tiger Den tonight, my yeah, friend. It'll be fun. I like Preston. He's a good dude. He's had me on the show before. And all I asked him to do is don't play this gotcha stuff, right? Like don't, don't yeah. bring up stupid things people are saying in the chat. If you want to hammer me for what I said, I'll own what I say. I'll always own what I say. And I'll always answer for what I say. I believe everyone should be willing to do that. Mm-hmm. And if you want to try to debate with me about the merit of what I said, that's cool too. As long as it's not some stupid gotcha stuff. And Preston has right. promised me he'll do that. And and from what I know about Preston, who, who works for Tiger Bait, I have no doubt that he'll be fair. And he's going to be tough. And I would expect him to. I don't need him to throw me softballs. Come at me because I believe in what I say. He believes mm-hmm. in what he feels about it, and we'll have a fun debate. So you want to check it. that out tonight at 7 o'clock. So. 7 o'clock Eastern. Tune yep. in. There you go. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. John A1 says, when two great quarterbacks are playing against each other, is there added pressure or is it complete focus on the defense? I don't care what any quarterback says. There's always a thought of that other quarterback. Always. 
You, you don't think you don't think that Peyton Manning got like tired of like the Tom Brady stuff early in his career? Like, oh, Peyton Manning can't beat Tom Brady in the playoffs or something. And eventually, he broke through that shell, right? But like, there's no no one can tell me, no matter how great the quarterback is, that it doesn't. It's not in their mind a little bit. Like, it 100 percent is. And then also, Brian, like, let's be honest. If you have two great quarterbacks, that usually means that your offenses are pretty good. They're going against each other, and you know that you have to match that guy, right? It's like, mm-hmm. oh, that guy's going to score here. I need to come back and be the best version of myself. So either way, the op- opposition of the quarterback is always in the person's head because they know sure. what they have to do in order to beat them. So I, yes, they are right. And I think it's a mental right. position, so they're always thinking like that. And Absolutely. to a degree, I think it needs to be. I mean, hey, look, man, you you can't just be flipping with the football when that other guy's on the other side of the field because he will take he will he will take advantage of that and put and crush your defense, you know, with those type of turnovers. There's there's no doubt. Hey, you know, Tom Brady, you can't give Peyton Manning that extra drive at the end of that you know AFC playoff game because that's the funny thing is like the Colts actually had pretty decent success overall against the Patriots. Just early on, they didn't, but eventually, yes. you know, he got his wins. You know, yep. so. Um, you know, I, I think he broke I, through you know, eventually. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's kind of where you need to be. Right. Is, you know, you know, who's on the other sideline and it, it, it adds pressure, but it shouldn't add pressure. It should add to me. If you're a great quarterback, it's not going to add pressure. It's going to add fuel. It's going to add focus. It's going to add, Hey, I got my chance to go prove I'm the best. Not like, Oh my gosh, I gotta, I can't mess up or so-and-so. No, I don't think that like, that's not how Peyton got to where he got to. That's not how Tom Brady got where he got to where they were worried about the other guy, but it's more of a, you know what I think of it? I think of it in terms of a of one of my most memorable commercials as a kid. I'm a Larry Bird fan. I was a Boston Celtics fan. Do you remember the McDonald's commercial with Larry Bird and, and, and Michael Jordan are playing that like game of horse and it's like off the rafters? You know, it was just like this really absurd thing where it's like, you know, off the rafters, off this bleacher, and then in into the hoop, and they're both making it. They're playing for McDonald's. It's kind of like that. Like anything you can do, I can do better type of thing. That's how I think the great quarterbacks are when they're playing against each other. And if you don't have that mentality, then I question whether or not you're a great quarterback. And they will say, they will say that, oh, I don't care about what's going on. This. I, bull, bull, <laughs> right? They need to say that, you know, but that's, yeah. That's that, not. That, that, com- that commercial reminds me of, do you remember those fantasy football commercials where they made those guys do like outrageous things that are actually not possible? They had like the no. David Akers one where he like, he they actually recorded that at my high school when I was when I was coaching. David Akers like popped this thing up way in the air and then kicked like a sixty yard field goal <laughs> off the ground and like all this ridiculous <laughs> stuff. I think it was like Tony Gonzalez punched his hands through like a brick wall to catch a ball or something like that. I'm yeah. like, yes, it's very possible. <laughs> very possible. Yeah, yeah at, uh, I'll have to ch- I'll have to look for that one. Uh, that was one of my favorite parts of Super Bowls growing up was just the commercials. They've gotten somewhat lame the last five ten years, but they used to be used to be pretty awesome i used to yeah used to love it used to love those next question here we got boy we're already two hours in man this thing has flown by john a1 says do you predict the kicking game to be more similar to kyle brinza or justin yoon this year i hope i actually think it's going to be closer to justin yoon yes and and now is blake groupie as good as justin yoon no because justin yoon actually had a pretty decent leg uh do i expect him to be quite as accurate as justin yoon no i mean justin yoon is probably the most underrated and underappreciated Notre Dame kicker of my life. Yep. Like nobody talked about him, but like that kid was money. I think of like the, the Clemson game, you're, you're down 14, nothing going into halftime in a monsoon. He drilled a 48 yard field goal in the rain against Clemson right before halftime. He was a money kicker, man. And a really good kid. 
So does Blake Groupie have Justin Yoon's leg? No. But if he can be as accurate at Notre Dame as he was at Arkansas State, then it's going to look a lot more like Justin Yoon. Whereas like John Dorn, Kyle Brenza had huge legs, but you never knew what they were going to get. What I did respect about Brenza was is he had some big opportunities in his career to make kicks that mattered. And from I can't think of one that he didn't hit. I mean, of course, the one I first think of is the LSU one in 2014 where he drilled that Music City Bowl kick. But, you know, I mean, I'm sure there were some that people can remember and point to, but you know, I, I think Groupie will be more like Justin Yoon than Kyle Brenza for a lot of different reasons. Brenza had a cannon for a leg, man. Oh, man, like, yeah. Yeah. Again, you never knew where that yeah. thing was going, though. But he had NFL leg strength, but not NFL yeah. accuracy. Not at all. Right, right, right. He was an interesting kid. Very interesting kid. All right. Cajun Domer. Brian, any chance of having a discussion with Blake Rafino again, or do you drown out that kind of noise? I drown <laughs> out that kind of noise. I got no time for stupid people. That's not very nice to say. I have no time. I have no time for non-serious. That was rude of me to say, and I apologize for that. I should not have said that. It's stupid people. Uh, I don't have time for childishness. How about that? I know that's insulting too, but I don't. I think that's more accurate, right? It's. I, it is. It's. It's less of a. a uh, it's less. It's less childish than calling stupid. Yes. So I think. You, I think you yes. did better there. I think you did. Yes. Better. And I think it's more accurate. Um, to to the current situation. The reason I'm going off Preston is because I think Preston is more of a serious person and will push back. Will will ask me tough questions. Will will you know defend LSU's honor, so to speak? But he'll do it professionally, and that's that's how I expect it to be. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm going on there. Because like if you if you're not willing to answer for what you say, then don't say things. Right. If, if you don't want people to push back or have reactions or whatever, then don't say things. That's just how it is. It's, it's you know, you say something, you answer for it. And I have no problem answering for it and going on to LSU people and explaining where I'm coming from, because I believed everything I said. We'll turn out, find out if I'm right or not. But I believe everything I said. The funny part is people are like, oh, you're just mad because Brian Kelly left. And I'm like, it would take you five minutes of research to realize that's not true. I may be wrong about Brian Kelly. But to turn this in, and that's where I say the childishness part, right? Because, like, Preston knows my stance on Brian Kelly. He knew it when he brought me on a show back when Brian Kelly was hired. He knew I wasn't a big Brian Kelly supporter. Other mm-hmm. people are just like, oh, you're just mad because he left. I'm like, why? Why would I be mad that he left? Like, <laughs> like, yeah, life's tough, man. Number three recruiting class, country, and, you know, yeah, life's tough, right? Sure, okay, whatever. Uh, I- at least know what you're that's talking my about. favorite thing is people always say that about me too on Twitter sometimes. And I'm just like, you have never talked to me before he was, before he was, <laughs> before he left then. If you yeah. think that I'm really upset sure. that he left. Sure. Okay. okay. Whatever. <laughs> you can criticize me. I may end up being wrong, but at least be accurate in what you're referring to. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. All right. Let's get this next one. God country, Notre Dame barbecue. Can you compare the Rocket, Deion Sanders, Desmond Howard, Charles Woodson, and Reggie Bush from a pure athleticism standpoint. Can you put them order of most dynamic? Here's the interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Reggie Bush is going to be in my bottom two in this conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, probably. that's how elite this group of athlete, of athleticism are. Because to me, athleticism is not just speed. Right. And, and so to me, what made – the rocket and Deion Sanders and Charles Woodson so special is that they were not only fast, but they were dynamic athletically. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where I'd rank them. I'd, I'd put Dion number one. Yes. For me, I'd put 
again, athleticism taken away. See, to me, I'm not I'm not putting in the size aspect of it. So sure. I'd have Rocket two. I'd have Charles Woodson three. I'd have Reggie Bush four. I've had Desmond Howard five. And they were all great athletes, but I, that would be the order of for me. Taking in all of the aspects of athleticism, ex- right. agility, explosiveness, speed, top end, change of direction, balance, all those things. Because the thing about Rocket, Rocket had some of the best balance I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. And he was a 175-pound guy that could bounce off tackles, hit the ground, and just, bam, get right back to being a 4-2. And that's why that would be – that was so Dion, Rocket, Woodson, Reggie, and and uh, Desmond with how I'd rank those. See- See, my struggle is I I don't re- I don't remember Rocket that much. Okay, you know, like I've only seen the highlights and him with he played with the Cowboys a little bit, right? And Raiders, a couple yeah. other teams, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I actually remember the NFL version more than I do the college right. version, which is unfortunate. He was just more of a speed but, guy in the yes. NFL. Yeah. So I mean, but it's Dion number one. Like that's mm-hmm. I mean, literally we talked about it. He was good enough that he could play both sides. He literally has played both sides of the ball, and he was a starting center fielder for a world series team in Atlanta. Right. So mm-hmm. like that's yeah. Yeah. So Dion's yeah. number one, I'm not going to put rocket in it just because I, I haven't seen enough. So I'm only going to rank the guys that I have seen. Okay? Right. So I'll go Deion Sanders. I'll, I'll put it like this. Imagine if Reggie Bush was a four, two. <laughs> well, if that case, then I mean, is, that's what rocket is, was. I mean, yeah. with all, I mean, that's what rocket was. He was basically Reggie Bush with four, two speed. I mean, that's, that's what he was. Well, let, let, let's let's throw him at number two then. I'll I'll yeah. take I'll take your word for this one. The Reggie Bush Charles Woodson one is interesting to me because the same things I said about Dion is Charles Woodson is that same type of player. Like he literally played both sides of the ball. That's why he won the Heisman at Michigan, right? And he was a player where I would argue in the NFL he was a better safety than he was a corner at the end of his. Like he was a really good safety man on top of being a good corner at the NFL. So I'd probably out for him. Reggie Bush and then Desmond Howard. So I think we ended up having the same list. Much. I just yeah. kind of went through it a little bit differently. But I mean, Desmond was a was a dude as a returner. But like, yeah. just I mean, those the other guys like Charles Woodson and Dion, like they could have played so many different positions sure. on a team, right? Like that's sure. The difference. And that's yeah. I mean, Desmond. If Charles Woodson wanted to be a, an offensive player, he could have been a thousand yard receiver in college. I mean, just he was. Special. I think you could maybe argue that Reggie could be ahead of Charles Woodson. I, I just I wouldn't because I think the thing that I give Charles and I think power is part of his athleticism too, yeah. And that's another thing that made Rocket really unique, right? I'm going to send you some highlight tapes when we're done here because you're going to see like him bouncing off of tackles and you know breaking tackles and things like that for a five ten 175 pound guy, and and to me that's what you know made him really special. But Charles Woodson was a, a he was a powerful athlete, really powerful yeah. athlete. Uh, and was a f- was really fun to watch. He was a unfortunately. Excellent, excellent I remember player. I remember Quadri Ishmael more than oh, yeah. Rocket Ishmael. So. The missile, the missile. <laughs> yes, yes. decent player, go. decent yeah. player. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And this never was going to be able to live up to his brother's expectations. You know. Uh, let's see here. Somebody asked, "Why do we assume Tyler Buckner will not be at Notre Dame in 2024?" No one's assuming that. We're no. we're you always have to. Uh, prepare for contingencies right like you have to tackle right right you have to say do you think tyler buckner's leaving after 2023 no do you need to prepare for because what we also said is if he leaves early or gets hurt you always have to prepare for situations where you don't have the quarterback you think you're going to have or the offensive tag you think you're going to have and you want to be in a situation right where you're not replacing him with a freshman 
And that's what we're referring to. So if you took that as we are assuming he will be gone in 2024, we're definitely not assuming that. But part of building your roster is looking forward to the future and saying, what could be the thing that could get us in trouble in 2024? Tyler Buckner blows up in 2023. You know, look, because look, college football is going to lose a lot of stud quarterbacks this year. Yep. They're going to probably lose CJ Stroud. They're going to probably lose Bryce Young. They're going to lose Phil Dracovic. They're probably going to lose Tyler Van Dyke. They're probably, I mean, there's a lot of big time quarterbacks that they're going to lose. And, which and there means, was a lot of, there was a lot of seniors that came back for the extra year right. as well. So like it, it's, it's Sam Hartman's a 60 year quarterback. I mean, yes, you were correct. Uh, you're going to lose Grayson McCall. You're going to lose Devin Leary. Most likely. I mean, there's a lot of Hendon hooker, I think is done after this year. Yeah. There, uh, other than Caleb Williams, I can't think of a guy that's expected to be a big time quarterback. This year. maybe Anthony Richardson. Quinn, Quinn Ewers. Right? Uh, okay. So, so of those guys, <laughs> You know, like the, the point is like, you know, I, I would expect Anthony Richardson back, but I don't think he's a big time quarterback yet. He's a big time talent, but he's a, not a big time quarterback. You know, I don't count Will Levis in that conversation, right? He's a system guy. The point is, is there's just, there's going to be a, there's going to be new blood in 23. If Tyler Buckner has a good year this year and Notre Dame is a good team this year, 10 plus win team, then he's going to get a lot of hype and expectations next year. Because one thing Tyler Buckner will do this year, if he's healthy, Ryan, he's going to have a lot of highlight real plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just going to and so you'll see that hype and then let, let's say he builds on it and as a as a junior in college has a similar year to what he had as a junior in high school uh, relative to the level he's playing meaning not 4400 yards passing 1600 yards rushing and the greatest college quarterback season ever we're talking about relative to what that would look like in college like say 3500 yards passing 800 yards rushing 40 plus touchdowns and he's a you know he may say, hey, look, with the injuries that I've had, I, I got to strike while the iron's hot because I don't think it's going to necessarily be a great quarterback draft class. Outside of Caleb Williams, can you project someone right now that definitely that guy is going to be a first-round pick? There will some that will, be a, that will emerge, right? Sure. But Tyler Buckner, I think, is going to be right in that conversation. So you have to at least prepare for it. I think it'd be irresponsible as a coach to not at least prepare for it. But then if you get him back, then now you've got another year of CJ grooming, and now CJ is ready to be there if Tyler gets hurt. That's where the conversation came from. I want to I want to look up the Tyler Buckner recruiting class at quarterback real quick. It was a pretty good class. I mean, you yeah. had Caleb Williams in that class, right? Uh, yeah, obviously had t- got, 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 there was a couple guys in that class that I thought were were a little overrated. If I'm going to be completely honest with you, so uh, I got I loved that Rivals counted him as by the way as a. Uh, a dual threat quarterback. They counted who's that? They ca- uh, Caleb Williams. They uh, called him a dual threat quarterback. No, he is a pocket passer that can run. That's not. Sure. A, you know, I wouldn't call him a dual threat quarterback. But that was Quinn Ewers was in that class. Yep. Uh, you had obviously right okay. You got it up. Sam so you, Sam, Sam Heward was in that class. Right. Brock, Brock Vandegrift was a very Vandegrift. overrated part of that. class. JJ McCarthy. Yep. Kyle McCord at Ohio State will uh-huh. eventually, in my opinion, Kyle McCord will be one of those guys that emerges as a future first round pick once he gets a year under his belt after replacing CJ Stroud. But that would be 2024 season. Mm-hmm. So he'd replace CJ and start for one year in 23. I don't think he's leaving after one year. And then it's happened. Dwayne Haskins did that, but I don't think he would do that. You know, so then he'd be more 2024, which again, we're talking about Tyler breaking out in 23 which would cause him to go there so i mean a lot of these other go ahead ryan you know who i watched i watched miami spring game that jake garcia kid's got a 
live yeah. arm, man. He's got a live Sheesh. arm. I'm not a yeah. huge – I wasn't a huge fan of him coming out in some of the mm-hmm. other quarterback areas, but you are correct. He has a very, very, very live arm. You know, so, so who breaks out? I mean, does Jackson Dart break out at Ole Miss this year? And is he in the same boat as, as Tyler Buckner? You know, he's a guy that you could see maybe do something like that. You know, Ty Thompson at Oregon is somebody that some people like. I, you know, I like them. I, I, I don't see him as a – potential future first round pick so but there will be some guys that break out happens all the time but I just right now I don't see that being a you know a year and you look at the 2020 class I mean those are the guys that it's crazy we're talking already about guys that are in the 2021 classes as leaving for the NFL already it's just it's crazy how this goes but then there's some 2020 guys that you know you look at could maybe break out over the next couple years you know and be that guy and you know who you know we talked about Anthony Richardson. I think he probably needs another year, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, Evan Prater was a, a, a pretty talented kid that goes to Cincinnati. You know, does he kind of have a couple good years? I put him in that Tyler Buckner conversation, you know, now that he steps into the starting lineup. So oh, Je- Jeff Sims is a kid from Georgia Tech that I like, but he's just in such a bad situation. Yeah. I like yeah. Jeff Sims, though. Yeah. I do like the off. I do like if he, I think Chip is a guy that could maybe help him become a, a more of a pocket passer. That's what Chip wants. I mean, Chip wants a guy that can sit in the pocket and throw the ball. Hope so. There's no doubt. I've I've heard good things about this Hunter Decker's kid that's starting at Iowa State this year, mm-hmm. but I haven't seen him yet. That'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. There's no doubt about that. Let's get to some more questions. I I I, I thought that it was a good one, USMA, and I'm, I'm glad you asked it so we could kind of clarify where we're coming from. Let's see here. Chris Basker says, which one-on-one matchup match on the matchup on the field gives Notre Dame the biggest advantage, and which is the biggest mismatch in favor of Ohio State? I mean, Ryan, I, I think this one, the one on favor of Ohio State, is pretty easy, and that's whoever's guarding Jackson Smith and Jigba. There's a we don't <laughs> right. anticipate that being Cam Hart a ton, right? Mm-hmm. We yeah. anticipate it being Clarence Lewis at times. We anticipate it being Tariq Bracy a lot, the Rover a lot, the safeties a lot. Because what I mean by that is if if they're in their base defense then it's the rover and the safety over top of him. And mm-hmm. to me, that's that's a a big part of this, Ryan, is is just kind of having – can you hold up in those matchups, right? So yeah. I think on, right now, could Tariq Bracey, you know, have a good game? Sure. But right now on paper, that's the, the biggest challenge for Notre Dame from a matchup standpoint, in my opinion. I can't even think of one that's a close second, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Like, that's that's the, that's the hard one, you know? You know, like, Talik Williams like... against Zeke Carell. If if Talik Williams Maybe. has the breakout that you think he can have, I think you know Zeke Carroll's got a lot to prove, right? Sure. I mean, if we see the Zeke Carroll we saw last year, that's a big mismatch for Ohio State, in my opinion. Right. Now, I don't think we're going to see the Zeke Carroll we saw last year. I think Zeke Carroll's going to be a good football player. But if yeah. we're being honest and, and holding, hey, look, we're going off what we saw last year. Talik Williams looked really good in limited snaps as a freshman last year. It's a big kid. Mm-hmm. Zeke Carroll really struggled in his starts last year. That would be the only other one that really pops in my head. I don't anticipate that being an issue the right. way the way that you know we just described it. But again, this is a show me business, right? And we can think all we want about how good the line is going to be or whatever, but you got to see it, right? And that's going to be the big thing. So I, I think that's a fairly objective take on that. What about the yeah. other side, Ryan? You it's know, I I think it's but I think it's an offensive tackle versus defensive end conversation on both sides of the football. If I'm being honest, because mm-hmm. not look the defensive ends for Ohio State are all talented, but they have not shown me anything. You just said to show me visit business, right? They have not shown mm-hmm. me anything right now. So I feel pretty good about Blake Fisher and Joe Alt against the defensive ends. I do. I feel good about both those guys in that situation. I'm let barring some crazy breakout. 
On the other side of the ball, if I'm getting Isaiah F- Foskey matched up against Dewan Jones, I feel all right, Brian. I feel pretty good. I feel pretty yeah. good about that matchup. I think him versus Paris Johnson, if Paris Johnson settles in, could be a really nice matchup, you know, mono versus mono. But I think I, even though I've heard Dewan Jones has lost a ton of weight this offseason, which is great because it's something that he needed to do, I still think that he's going to have some tough time with the athleticism length combo that's a Isaiah Foskey has. So I'll, I'll say yeah. it's a defensive end versus offensive tackle clash on both sides of the ball. I think they're going to they're gonna have to figure something out for Michael Mayer. As much as Jim Knowles says they have athletes and linebacker and safety that can run with Michael and play with Michael Mayer, they don't. They're going to have to bracket. Double teams don't always mean you have two guys accounting for him at the same time. You can triple team a guy where only one has him at a time. It's you, you hey, if he comes here, you got to take him. If he goes there, you got to take him, you know, different things like that. But they're going to have to bracket him a lot, double team him a lot. Uh, that's not a matchup that I think really favors them all that much, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, Conroe Doherty, any word on how the corner position opposite Cam Hart is trending? How is Ryan Barnes progressing along with Benjamin Moore? So we had another question about Ryan Barnes moving to safety. Ryan Barnes did not move to safety from what I'm told. He is cross-training at safety now that Xavier Watts is now cross-training uh, at corners, or I mean at, at receivers. So that one is a little bit different. Um, how is it trending? It's it's Clarence Lewis and then guys like Jaden Mickey and Benjamin Morrison are pushing for playing time. I think Jaden Mickey more so than Benjamin Morrison. And then also you can always move Tariq Bracey outside. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where that one is at. Um, here's one, Ryan. Who is the player not named Tyler Buckner that if he hits a ceiling can help Notre Dame win in Natty this year better than anyone else? It's a tough question. I mean, my, my initial thought, Brian, is I think the guy with the biggest ceiling on the team just in general might be Blake Fisher. But then the question mark is like, would not, not that offensive tackle isn't an impact position, but it was just, it wouldn't be the first one that I would pick for like difference between a championship and not winning a championship, you know? So my thought went to Isaiah Foskey was another guy, but I, I'm thinking wide receiver as well because we need a wide receiver to really break out right. and be a guy. It would be but, the one you keep talking about, Lorenzo Styles. I mean, if Lorenzo yeah. Styles hits a ceiling this year, this offense could be really hard to stop, Ryan. I mean, yeah. really hard to stop. I, to me, I think a guy that could – I think that guy to me is is honestly, it's Riley Mills. It, I'm going him or Maris Lewifauer, the two for me. I think if those two guys hit their ceiling, we know what Cam Hart can be. We know what Brandon Joseph is. We know what Isaiah Foskey is. We know what Jason Adamiola is, right? If 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 it's somebody else, mm-hmm. you know, like if Cam Hart, if Clarence Lewis hits a ceiling, he's a good steady player. But you're not winning a title with a good steady corner unless your ends are just dominant. Because we're talking about winning a natty, right? So this isn't about beating, you know, North Carolina, Stanford, teams like that. This is about beating the best teams in the country, beating Georgia. You're not beating Georgia, Ryan, if you've got one defensive lineman that's making plays. You're not. You're not beating Alabama if you've only got one defensive lineman that's making plays. You need somebody else to step up and take games over. And that's why I say it's got to be Riley Mills or even to a degree Jason Adamula. But I think Riley Mills is a bookend if Riley Mills reaches his peak, which what would you say if Riley Mills plays the best he can? What would his numbers look like? I'm kind of thinking like 12 tackles for loss, seven, eight sacks. sacks yeah. That's kind of where I'm looking at, like a big power rusher. You got that opposite Isaiah Foskey. That's a really dynamic one-two punch when you consider 
how that is played. Because what's that going to also do, Ryan? How do you stop Maris Lufau on blitzes if those two bookends are getting after it? How do you mm-hmm. stop Jason Adamiola up the middle if you're having a hard time and putting all your pressure on ends on the opposite side of the offensive line? That's what make, could make this defense really challenging. So I'm going to go with, with Riley Mills, to be honest with you, because I always have felt, Ryan, and you can you can disagree with me on this if you want, Mm-hmm. If a if you're a defensive lineman can have a much greater impact on everybody behind him than a great defensive back can have on everybody in front of him. Not that a great defensive back can't impact other people, but more so. Like if if my choice is between Lawrence Taylor or Deion Sanders, the two bet the best that I've ever seen do it, I'm taking Lawrence Taylor because I don't need Deion to be Deion if I got Lawrence Taylor. You know what I mean? Because the quarterback doesn't have time to do that. You know, so you can make the same case with the Reggie White. I mean, you just pick a great pass rusher. Mm-hmm. I just, I, that's just kind of how I feel. I, I just pass rush, yeah, pass rush over pass coverage. I'm there yeah. with you. No, that's... I want both, right? But right, sure. I can only pick one if guy to reach his one. full ceiling. PFF you know? says that's stupid. They, they, they hate your opinion on that. Well, I that that actually solidifies the confidence <laughs> I have in that decision. Uh, yeah. that PFS doesn't feel that way. So if it, if it was up to PFF, the uh, team would pass every single play. They would never run the ball ever. So <laughs> even more reason not to like PFF. <laughs> they they would rush three linemen every single yes. play. They would have six defensive backs on the field. That yes. was just, yes, that's PFF's yep. recipe for success. There you go. So just a seven on seven league, basically. Yeah. 100%. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. <laughs> today during the Jeep celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.